And if we only could manage what's happening outside of us, well, we could have relief from the craziness. There's a chair right here in front as much as yeah. So it's like the self-centeredness, you can look at it as a cause of a lot of your discomfort, or a lot of discomfort, and yet when you uh, try to deal with the discomfort, you deal, from it, deal, deal with it from self-centeredness, which just keeps the whole dilemma going. Yeah? So, like last night we were at a meeting and they were talking about agitation and things that happen here. So let's say agitation occurs, but it's really what reacts to it is the self-centeredness. So agitation, sometimes there's going to be discomfort in life, yeah? You're going to have physical pain or something like that, or there'll be a lot of energy, chaotic energy around, and there's going to be an unease and a discomfort, and there will be a reaction to that. That reaction is self-centeredness, yeah? Because you think the agitation is being, is, is being caused by something outside of you and is attacking you. You're being imposed. It's, it's imposing itself on you. Yeah? And so the self, that self-centeredness reacts to the agitation by trying to manage it. Yeah? That's what it does. It doesn't acknowledge the agitation. It doesn't honor the agitation. It says, what can I do to change it? Yeah? And so then it spins out in trying to control what's not controllable. Because if you could control it, the agitation would never arise. If you could control the agitation, you would control it so that it wouldn't happen. So obviously, agitation occurs, consciousness of agitation is noted, yeah? You're a conscious, so agitation is happening. You become aware of it, and then there's the reaction to that through self-centeredness. And we've noticed that the solutions that self-centeredness applies to the seeming problem is the bigger problem. So when agitation arises, and let's say you have alcoholic condition. So agitation arises, you don't like to feel it for a second. So maybe the first second you blame someone else for it, that mother, whatever, is causing this agitation. And then a knee-jerk reaction, you get angry, and you act out. And now your solution to the agitation creates a 10-year prison sentence. Yeah, it's mind-boggling, isn't it? So, the agitation arises. Self-centeredness, obviously because the center of it is that there's a you that it's arising to, or against, right? So the agitation is coming at you as a self. You react to that by trying to manage it, and so you, you try to apply one of your own self-centered solutions, and it may cause a 10-year solution to that momentary problem. Yeah. Ten years in jail. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you may have a little feeling of unease about your girlfriend and her whereabouts one night. Yes. So the head reacts to that, thinking that, well, this is my girlfriend. I have the right to know where she is, because she's mine. And so when I see her, I'm going to ask her a very nice, very innocent question. Where were you last night? With a lot of anger underneath it and suspicion. Now, of course, there's going to be a reaction to that. Yeah. And then some, and then you're going to react again from where? From self-centeredness, yes? And so exactly what you wanted, you, you, you don't get. You get to be alone and right. Yeah. When all you really wanted is love, let's say. 
but your head's reaction to any suspicion about love causes you to get the exact opposite of what you're supposedly looking for. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? And therefore, every day, every second of the day, we're basically in reliance on self, which is totally unreliable. So whatever becomes, whatever becomes conscious to us, maybe a discomfort or a feeling of something or an unease, what reacts to it is the, is the problem itself, yes, which is self reacts to the problem it thinks it's having, and then it creates a whole world of problems called solutions. <laughs> because the solution always has a lot more... <laughs> it may... Temp- like a solution works for five minutes, yeah. If I have a drink, it works. Hey, I forgot, fuck God, I forgot all about that. But then, it sets off balls in motion that cause what? Misfortune you don't feel like having to occur. <laughs> yes? So it says in AA that you make a decision based out of fear or a self, and it sets off trains of circumstances. So where's the decision made? As a reaction to something. Yeah? To seemingly what's happening. So let's say agitation is happening. Or let's say uh, you're sick and tired. Yeah? Now, to me, there isn't a you that's sick and tired, but sick and tired is an experience here. Sick and tired, in other words, you're freaking exhausted and burned out. So sick and tired arises. Okay. Consciousness is aware of that. But then self-centeredness kicks in and says, I'm sick and tired. And then a whole story ensues based on that I'm sick and tired. Now, the the sick and tired can be an incredible invitation for you to pause. To go, Jesus, sick and tired. Okay. In other words, stop digging the hole you're busily digging and look up and Maybe entertain something else. But what happens is, if it's you are sick and tired, you, you've been sick and tired many, many times. The message of sick and tired has been neutered. You don't get it anymore. It's just an inconvenience. You want to just go get a drink faster. You know what I mean? So your solution to sick, the sick and tired may be an incredible moment of pause so your whole life could change. Yeah? Instead of taking non-stop information from self-centeredness, you could pause, allow your antenna to move, and pick up another program, let's say called higher power. The higher power or truth doesn't have self as its center. Self doesn't even appear in that that program. It doesn't. Self-centeredness is all about self. It's the center of the whole program. So the antenna picks up some information at the pause, and then your life takes a different direction. You react to the agitation or you respond to the agitation in a different way that doesn't produce long-lasting sets of problems from applying your solution. It's sort of like you realize why life is unmanageable is because I'm managing it. But I'm not managing. Self-centeredness is managing it. That's the solution. If it's you that's managing it, then maybe you'll go to a better managing school so that you become a better manager. But when you realize there is no you that's managing, it's just a, a mental program called self-centeredness that's managing. In other words, it's, it's reacting to everything that comes up in awareness. The awareness is conscious contact. That's right there. You're interfaced with what's happening. But then there's a mental reaction to what's happening that overrides the conscious contact, and now you become unconscious to that, and you now spin out into the story about what's happening. 
And you add chapter after chapter by applying solutions to that seeming problem. And you don't see that the problem and solution is the bigger problem. Because life is not unmanageable unless you're managing it. Then it can be extremely unmanageable. As soon as self starts managing it, life becomes unmanageable. Yeah. <laughs> so that pause, P-A-U-S-E, in, in AA part, in recovery, would be to me, that's the transfer from, quote-unquote, your will to thy will. Yeah. Quote-unquote, self's will to that other will. It's in the pause. The pause isn't just a break between activities. The pause is really a slice of eternity in this linear place of time. The pause is a slice of eternity, because it's timeless, in this limited linear story of time. Yes? Consequent, you know, consecutive time, linear time. So there's this, 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 and we can see, blah, blah. In those pauses, that's that's eternity. That's infinity. Yeah? And anything is possible from there. So a, a huge old habit that always jackpotted you when the certain situations and conditions arose and when you became aware of those conditions and then the self-reaction would be so quick you'd be a knee-jerk thing. You'd say, fuck you, or whatever. I always used to do that when I had absolutely no power. Like when I'd been arrested and handcuffed. Then I'd be starting to demand my rights. Hey, fuck you! And then I'd get my ribs broke. It was incredible. I had absolutely no power. I couldn't have had no nowhere to come from, and yet I'm making a big stand with the police as I'm handcuffed. And, you know, <laughs> not a good move. <laughs> so the pause is where everything—that's the pregnancy of life. Anything and everything can happen in that pause. Something that seemed to be the same old, same old that you are so affiliated with as you, you know, a certain pattern of behavior or conditioning, can be interrupted and a whole, let's say, a whole other root system can grow out of it, out of the same plant and feed off of some good soil and good light and good sun and grow totally differently. So that pause is the startling moment of self-centeredness or selfing. To me, selfing's a verb. There's no self. It's something your head's doing called self-centeredness. So a pause is that is that startling event. It doesn't have to be noticed. It's just a stopping. Yeah. In that stopping, anything can occur. A whole new direction can occur. A whole new bit of information can arise out of that. Not the same old, same old. Because basically, your life is just the reactions you have to what you're aware of, really. And actually, your reactions to what you're not aware of. You're not aware that you're conscious contact. So your reactions are always based on me being a separate, long-lasting, independent entity. And that's why all your reactions are based on ignorance, because they're not on the fact of what you are. You're awareness. You're not a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. So if your life story is told from this point of view, it's going to be very confusing to you. Yeah? It's not going to translate to happiness, joyousness, and freedom when you buy everyone else's formulas of how you're going to be happy, joyous, and free. It may not necessarily translate to the real feeling of that. And there will be a lot of gaps and confusions because it just doesn't make freaking sense. Because it's all based on a false assumption that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, this selfing, this body identification. Yeah? So like just like when you come in here, what you're looking for is comfort for the body. The body demands all of your attention. Why? It's not your, not everybody doesn't demand all your attention. Your body demands your attention. 
the identification with this certain body demands a lot of attention concerning its care and preservation and promotion. That attention can be freed up, yeah? And actually, your, the care of the body will be much better managed by your having no vested interest in it, actually, <laughs> as a self. Seriously. Your body will do so much better when you, when you practice benign neglect to it than when you're totally consumed. Because mostly what you're consumed of is a conceptual idea of your body, not the body itself. You have a conceptual idea of how you think the body should look or whatever. And you're that, you may be totally engaged in that, but that's not being in the body. That's total disassociation from the body. You're in the mental idea of the body. Yeah? So, this whole idea of self-centeredness, it's just a, it's a failed program. That discomfort, irritability, and restlessness that you felt when you were a kid was trying to indicate to you something. It was attempting to grab your attention before it got sucked into that black hole of selfing, because it started to see how it was happening. You were starting to grow into fear and anxiety and time and ugliness and beauty and right and wrong and close and far and all this dualistic split of wholeness here. Yeah? You were slowly getting, falling into that rabbit hole. So the body was trying to re- react with an alarm. Hey, why do you feel uncomfortable in your own skin when you didn't when you were a little kid? What happened? Because you were outgrowing something, and growing into an artificial, contrived sense of being you. And then, in a way, you believe you're in a box after a while. There's a really nice way they used to put it. So you're in a box, you're sitting here, and there's two sides and a side, and you assume you're in a box because this seems to be you. You're the fourth side of the box, as this. So you're in this little box of self-centeredness. And there's only a certain amount of possibility in that box. And if you've been through every inch of it already, all you're doing is rehashing the same old hopes and, and aspirations and ideas that spent you for a long time. Yeah? All, the, all the maps to all the wells that when you put your pan, your thing in and didn't bring up water, it just gives you new maps. It's the same old well. <laughs> you're not getting any water. It just tells you, well, there's a new one over here, so okay, I'll go eight years of this and go there and that, that. When I get that, I should. And then you have to make a big excuse why you don't have water. You got to blame it on someone else. Someone beat me to it. There was water here, and now everyone got it, or whatever. No, there was just no water. Look yeah. at the maps. Seriously, your own authority. It's like those divining things. You are that. You don't need a map to go to the truth. You freaking are the truth. You can pick it up. You're conscious, right? Consciousness is inherently available to us. That's all you need to, quote-unquote, know the truth, because the truth is you're conscious. That's it. Yeah? In that consciousness, that's it. That's the entrance, entrance point. But it's not you that's going to go through that door, because there's no you. The you... The, the idea of being a you creates the idea of being a door to the truth, and therefore it's always available that it's outside of your contact, because you've got to go through some door, maybe 50 doors, maybe 8 doors, maybe 12 retreats, maybe tantric yoga, maybe this, maybe that, and then suddenly I'll, I'll, come, I'll come against the truth. No, you are that truth. Your consciousness, right now. So, the truth is always available at all times, but it's not available to what you're not. What you're not will never access it. It's impossible. What you're, net, what you're not is something what you are is entertaining. What you are is conscious of what you're not. Your head believes it's what you're not, 
and it causes you to be unconscious to the consciousness. And when you're unconscious to the consciousness, some of us have the terrible curse of being spiritual seekers. You'll now try to seek for contact with consciousness. But as what's causing it to seem to be unconscious to you. <laughs> How's that ever going to work? <laughs> Has it? No. It will later. No, it won't. <laughs> when I meet that right, no, it won't. <laughs> when I go to that right cheat, no, 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 it won't. It won't happen. So, you and I give everything all the meaning it has, man. It's not personal. That's what this apparatus does. You give meaning to everything today. This is a subjective experience here. Yeah? So when you have an experience and I have the exact same thing, I experience the same thing, you have a different feel about it than I do. Why is that? It's not the thing that's changed. You and I gave it all the meaning it has. So it's very, very important the role you play here in your life. Because while you think you're, you are this in a life, you're the projector of what you call your life. You're giving it all the meaning it has. And that meaning gets funneled into this experience. It, there's different programs. Where most of us have been suffering in self-centeredness, so we've been living under the meaning-giving of self-centeredness. So every way life looks, at, we look at life as how it pertains to us. Yeah? That's how we look at it. Everything is important to me. And if it's not important to me, it's not important, really. Yeah? So this self-centeredness is the flavor and the, and the judge and the director and the partitioner and the deliverer of the meaning. And we've had enough samples of it. Obviously, that's why you may be in this freaking room. You're probably sick and tired of the samples you've gotten from self-centeredness with the hopes that one day a great delivery is going to come. Never now, but one day in the future, if you do and have a lot of different things and the stars align the right way and everyone does what you want for that maybe ten minutes that day, you'll really feel great. It will go away quickly. And then a new plan to really feel great will appear. But you will really feel great, maybe for five or ten minutes. And then the waiting to be special will finally deliver the goods. I feel fucking special. Let me call somebody and tell them how special I am. Yeah? But then it fades, and then you're on the trudging the road of, of desperate destiny of being special. <laughs> no one's giving you water on the walk. No, they're too busy being special. There's no water. No one's clapping for you. No, no. <laughs> it's a lonely road of specialness. <laughs> but at that same time, there's another possibility. Offered to you by your basic fact, your conscience. So instead of Forgetting being conscious and going into the reaction to whatever you're conscious of as being you, yeah? that reaction of whatever becomes conscious to what you really are, instead of being that compilation of reaction and what all the reactions seem to come through, you go another way. You just take a step back, or like in Taoism, which is an old whatever way of life, <laughs> China somewhere. They would say a beautiful statement, turn the light, which is, you know, consciousness, turn the light upon itself. See, when a lot of people hear that, they think, turn the light upon me is this. No, turn the light upon itself, which is light 
is light. Yeah? Not light isn't Paul. <laughs> so you're not turning... We're, we're constantly turning the light upon ourselves. As a self, that's what's driving us fucking crazy. The obsession with this thing. When light is turned on this, it drives you unbelievably insane. Yeah? When you get obsessed with only this, and all the thoughts about this, and all the opinions about that with this, it drives you crazy. It causes incredible neurosis. Unbelievable. But the same direction, if you would go a little bit farther, instead of stopping here and thinking this is the opaque end of the box, yeah? Yes? That this is just, you can look right through it and you realize you were never in a box. It's only three-sided. It's only like a horse with blinders. It's only a tunnel vision called self-centeredness. This thing that you called the fourth wall, meaning Paul, in other words, everything that was happening in a box hit this wall and then went back and hit this wall. This wall isn't a wall. Yes? When you see that, what, what you thought you were captured in, you realize has no ability to capture you. It's a three-sided box, so it's not a box, obviously. <laughs> so, you turn the light upon itself. What I would say itself is, is that presence of awareness in you, yes? That would be the light. Not your reaction to it. Not your reaction to it. When light meets light, there's no reaction to it. Yeah? When a thing meets light, when an object confronts light, there's a huge reaction to it. When light meets light, there's no reaction to it. That's the pause. That's that eternal space. That's that moment that's never-ending, and no one even saw it today. Yeah. No one even may have noted it, but it's never-ending. That's it. So, when the light is turned upon itself, then you get disbanded or broken from the bondage to self. So, what happens is your reactions to what you are aware of change. Yes? So something that would get your back up doesn't get your back up anymore. In other words, you start outshining circumstances and situations instead of being the slave to circumstances and situations by your reactions to them as being real, having an incredible amount of meaning, and having the ability to really fuck with me. Yeah? You have an immunity to it now. Not as a you, because this is just the form of all reactions. Yeah? This is all it is. It comprises all the reactions to consciousness by mind. The mind reacted to consciousness with this. This is its, this is its exclamation, exclamation point to separate itself as consciousness. Yeah? I am not that because I'm this. Now, this it will say is conscious, but it will not say all there is is consciousness. No. It will say, it can't get rid of the consciousness, so it says, okay, I have it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what self does. The mind and selfing claims everything. So consciousness is something that cannot be erased, so it claims it as a body. It goes, I, Paul, have unconscious. Which what? It causes it to be it causes unconsciousness, actually. That's the incredible thing. Your claiming consciousness <laughs> causes it to be appear to be unconscious here. It's mind boggling. When the head claims consciousness, consciousness appears to be unconscious here. <laughs> what an incredible feat, really, for the head to be able to do that. But you have to see, it's, it's doing miracles upon miracles every day. You're basically living for all intents and purposes, and what's not happening probably today. Yeah? Your head may be in next Friday. Yeah? And you're thinking next Friday, 
And even the body's reacting as if next Friday is more important than Saturday. Because Saturday nothing's happening, so you should be pretty relaxed. But next Friday you have cancer. Or you got, just got fired. Or your boyfriend or girlfriend sleeping with your best friend next Friday. And you're having like a preemptive reaction to that now. <laughs> so your body's very tight, you're getting pissed off, and you're consumed with what's not happening, and it overrides your ability to respond to what's happening. You know? This is very peaceful, I'd say, here. But if you can't respond to this, you must be reacting to something else. It's, that's fucking simple. And most of us are reacting to what's not happening. Why it's so easy to live in what's not happening is we're identified with the premier in what's not happening, which is you, as a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Once you believe your what's not happening, which is Paul as his independent, separate entity, this is your access into the realm of what's not happening. So past and future, you can tell if there's been a takeover in a way, because past and future will be more important than now to you, to your head. Not to you, but to the head. Yeah. So now... The original what's not happening, which is Paul as this independent entity, is now living in the realms of what's not happening, which is past and future. But all of this that's not happening can only happen in what's happening. Yeah? What's happening? What's not happening does not have a place t to happen in. <laughs> it can only happen in what's happening. Because that's the only thing that's happening, yeah? So, we're, in t we're really, quite a lot of us are in it incredible abject denial to what's happening by demanding and, and proclaiming our right to be a citizen of what's not happening. And this is our passport. Our identification is this. This gives us the sense of being a citizen in what's not happening. Because when we go into what's not happening, how do you picture yourself? As a body, yeah? When you go into the past, how do you picture yourself? Do you picture yourself as a unicorn or a, a, a a non, a very ambiguous non-entity, like a flowery, cloudy vapor? No. You picture yourself as a little kid in the past, and then why do you picture yourself, well, you still probably picture yourself as a young teenager when you're 80, <laughs> projecting that, you know. <laughs> Talked at the junior high school still, waiting. I'm going to meet my babe Monday. Yeah, but there you are. But you project, you're living in what's not happening, seemingly. And all of that activity is happening in what's happening. And all you need to do is entertain what's fucking happening. And it can just dispel, and I mean, it can be like a virtual reality, like Second Life. You can have an incredibly intricate what's not happening in the past and the future. You can have tons of stories why you are the way you aren't right now, because of what happened then, which didn't actually happen probably, or what possibly could happen to me, thousands of possibilities in there. Huge, intricate mental catacombs yep. can be erased in one second if you just acknowledge what's happening, which is not a reaction. It's an acknowledgement. It's an entertaining of the basic denominator of anything that's ever happened, which is the consciousness of it happening. Nothing would ever have been registered as a happening unless there was an awareness of it. There would be no happening. You need, you need the awareness to have a happening. Yes? In other words, you could be at a party, but if you're out cold, did the party actually happen for you? No. You didn't. You have the story of it. You were supposedly there, but there was no entertaining of what the happening because you were out cold. Well, the thing is, if there's no awareness, there's no happening. 
Yeah? So the, the true happening is awareness. And that's always happening, as, as long as you're conscious. So, you're, the relief that you're actually truly seeking for is available at all times. To me, that's love, really. If there's a seeming problem, and there was love, it would probably offer a real solution to that seeming problem any moment that seeming problem seemed to appear. That would be love to me. Yeah. Here you go. It's always available at all times with no requirement necessary, Paul, to escape from what's not happening. Why? Because it's not happening. <laughs> Very easy. That's the solution. You mean I don't have to go in there and, and demolish what's not happening and try to make peace with all my memories of what's not happening and try to work on all my anxieties and phobias about what I think is going to happen? No. Just realize it's not happening. Yeah. When you realize it's not happening, it's like being in a dream, being scared of dream tigers, yeah, and then trying to get therapy in the dream so you were not as scared of the tigers. You know, maybe year after year you're going to therapy and you're getting a little bit of relief, but every time a tiger, woo, woo, you flip out. More money to the therapist. Hey, please, it's not working, is it? This dream tiger keeps scaring the shit out of me because you're a dream object. You're identified as this. If you wake up, and when you wake up out of the dream, there's an instant recognition the tiger is a dreamed tiger. It's not real. You have immunity to it. Like that. You don't have to take workshops how to get over the fear of a dream tiger. Just wake up out of the dream. The dream is what's not happening. And you're a dream because that's where you appear in what's not happening. Yeah? Literally. You're not appearing now. There's no need for a you to appear now at all. You have nothing to do with this appearance whatsoever. The idea of being a you has nothing to do with this appearance. has absolutely nothing to do with it. It has a lot to do with what's not happening because you won't access what's not happening without going through you. Yeah? You don't access what's not happening in this awareness. You don't. You access... What's not happening through the you that's not happening. So you have to fall into the dream of being the you that's not happening to be in total access to what's not happening. Where all your fears derive from. Not fear, anxiety. All your anxieties are a product of what's not happening dumping or downloading into now. You're bringing it into reality. Not you, but the you that you're not. And of course it's not bringing it into reality because it can, it's not real. But it's bringing it into here where it demands your attention. Yes? So you get offered what's happening, but you keep making, uh, you keep saluting what's not happening with your attention, with your reactions. Yes? And that to me is the dilemma. It's plain and simple. Now you may want to work on it down the road and try to get a little relief here and there, there and here. But if you actually see it as almost like a line of knots, yes? So let's say some people aren't doing well in relationships to the opposite sex, so they do a lot of work there. And they take read books and they go to therapy and then maybe they get a little bit of relief. So they tell everyone about all the books they read and the therapist. And then a month later it's knotted up again. They say, oh, forget about that therapist. He sucks and throw those books away. Yeah? But if you go to the first knot, which I'm saying is the misidentification as what you are with what you're not. Yes? That first knot, when that's seen through and that's loosened, 
It has a thread that goes through all the knots of your, rea- your life. All the situations that promote an, a reaction to or a response to in life are rooted in that first knot. Yeah? So the first knot loosens up, a thread goes through all the other knots called, unquote, quote unquote, your life. And when that thread loosens, all of them loosen up. All of them. And you'll know the tree by its freaking fruit. You'll know the, the proof will be in the pudding. You can't see the true tree. That's why I feel Jesus was saying that. You'll know the tree by its fruit, yeah? A good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bring forth good fruit. So you'll know the tree by the fruit. Just check out your life, how you're traveling. Yeah? You start traveling lighter, and it starts getting consistent, you're on to something. Keep entertaining what you're entertaining. If it keeps getting more and more need to be right, and have excuses, and complain, and resent people, and blame people, you're going, maybe you're eating the wrong fruit from the bad tree. Yeah? Resentment, and fear, and all this baloney. So, you'll know the tree by the fruit. You'll discover something, and it's going to be in the pudding. You'll travel lighter, and that's that. You don't need 800 800 pages of scriptures to convince yourself. You'll know in your gut. It'll be like an unspoken yes. You'll just know. Because you have consciousness. You can recognize consciousness. You can recognize it. You can intimate the presence of awareness. Because you're conscious. If you were not conscious, you would not be able to intimate the presence of the all-encompassing awareness. But you are conscious. But most of us are trapped in being conscious with things, or of things, because we believe we're a thing. So this thing demands us to be conscious of other things. And it's like this, this false relationship with thing and thing, when it's actually no thing in relation to all things. Yeah? No thing. This is a thing. This is not what's in relationship with other things. It's the awareness, the no thing, that <coughs> interfaces with things through this thing is aware of things. Not the thing. If you took this body and life left it, it could be everyone could take, hopefully, maybe not here, but you could take organs out and eyes, and if you put them in a live body, they'd work. Yeah? This is not what's experiencing anything. Yeah, this is the interface, how I experience things here. But what's experiencing it is not this. It's that subjectivity, the universal subjectivity, the Christ consciousness, the Buddha nature, whatever you want to call it. It's that that's looking out of all our heads right now. That what's looking, that we're all looking for in very ignorant ways. We're looking for it. When you're out there trying to get something out there, you're looking for what's looking. You're looking for the awareness. But... We're ignorantly conditioned to look outside of ourselves for things to get us what that only can represent. Peace, happiness, satisfaction. The symbols of the conditional mind are just pale substitutes for the real thing. Yeah? And that's what the head's doing constantly. Your head's playing God. It's telling you exactly what you're like, what you're going to be like, what you were like. Who they're like, what they're going to be like, what they're going to, what they were like. It's pontificating constantly based on this huge sense of knowing, and it's totally baloney. It's the sense of knowing. I'll read this nice statement by this lady. I like this little. Found this in this book. I like this. Yeah. So it says, when mind lives solely in the now moment, akin to a state of unknowing. Yes. So when you're in this now moment, it's like in Zen they would call it the I don't know. Yeah. It's like a state of I don't know. 
So you don't have any preemptive knowledge of what's happening. You just re- respond to it when it appears. Yeah? So when mind lives solely in the now moment, akin to a state of unknowing, it becomes incapable of disorder and confusion. It's not like you are virtuous and you stop being disorderly and confused. It's you access another program which doesn't have confusion and disorder as one of its main proponents. That's all that happens. You're just an expression of something, or I believe nothing. Yeah. So again, I'll read it because this is really to me. It's she hits it pretty well. So when you're in this state of unknowing, yeah, you know, like when you were a kid in that wonder and awe, it becomes incapable of disorder and confusion. In contrast, it is the continuous, the continuous unsettled movements of the mind in a state of knowing. So the first original state of knowing is you think you know who you are. You think you know you're this body. Yes? That becomes the state of all-knowing. So you know everything from this prior knowledge, which is I'm a body, which causes separation, obviously, and everything else that we take to be real here. So that sense of being so sure that I'm this causes for me to be so sure that you're that. Yes? As soon as I believe I'm this, and I have this great knowledge, I know I'm this, then I know you're that. So I can't see any other expression other than that. Yeah? I'm immediately thrown into tunnel vision. I will only see you as a body because I only believe I'm seeing from a body. Yeah? So it says, in this continuous unsettled movements of the mind in a state of knowing that are solely capable of giving rise to indecision, confusion, unreality, and so on. So it's your knowing that causes it to go south. Yes? Like when you were a kid, did you know freaking anything? I was just awareness. That's all that was happening. It's just awake. And it wasn't someone saying, oh, Paul's awake today. And Paul wasn't awake yesterday. What did Paul do to become so awake today? None of that was there. It was just, you were interfaced with life, and there was just consciousness of what was happening. Yeah? Then some, I outgrew that and grew into, through introspection, through the mind turning upon its own object, yes, through attention turning up upon the object of mind called selfing, then the neurosis set in. Then all the products of that knowing that I was a self, all this confusion, all this indecision, all this discomfort, yeah, the uncomfortability in your own skin started happening. When I was a little kid and there was pictures of me and my family, I looked like a little cherub, you know, amidst big angels. And then about two or three years later, when you saw a picture of me and my family, I was looking at my mother suspiciously. I was like, who are these people? The separation had already occurred. The separation had already occurred. I started to think I knew something. Yes? And that knowledge, bogus knowledge, creates all the, the effects. Real knowledge sets you free. Knowledge claimed by self avails you nothing, like it says in the AA Big Book. Self-knowledge avails you nothing. Why is that? Knowledge seems to be pretty cool. Why does self-knowledge avail me nothing? Because the self, the seat of all artificial knowing, claims the knowledge and says, I have this knowledge. And it neuters it because it will never lead you to freedom from self. You'll just know, it's like becoming a professor of holes. You know exactly what, what happens to a hole and how deep holes are, but you keep falling into them. They have no value whatsoever. You're just a professor, you have tons of knowledge about holes, but there's not keeping you out of the hole. <laughs> so you may have the most knowledge about self, but if you identify that self, it's not doing you damn good. It's probably driving you even crazier. 
That's why people hate it when it gets sober. They go, Jesus Christ, it was better when I was ignorant. I didn't know anything was going on. It's, much, I can't, it's really like drinking when I have a head full of AA. Before I could just drink and everything was fine. Now I'm aware of some things and it's driving me freaking crazy. Why is that? See? But this knowledge, the knowledge of not knowing a damn freaking thing, is what sets you free, really. I have no clue what's happening. That's what's so mind-boggling. Of course you have clues about what's happening here, but I mean, what's really happening, I don't have a freaking clue. I have no idea. It's like a giant, vast, infinite field right behind this little noggin at the second. Shoo, <laughs> it's just, bye-bye. And I don't know what's flying in and going out. <laughs> this is what I'm concerned in this. This is just the face out. <laughs> this has very little to do with it. This is what's occupied in the ear. Yeah. And little things shoot through every once in a while, but that's it. <laughs> that state of unknowing is the space. So, start telling the truth. Because it isn't about, all right, now I've got to live in the state of unknowing. No. Just give up being the, the self that thinks it can live in either state. Yeah? There's no you. It's not about leaving here and, oh, now I've got to get better because I haven't been doing well. No, that's you didn't, not how I t attempted to offer it. It's about, it doesn't matter if you're worrying about next week or not. Just find out who is it that's worrying about next week. If it isn't you that's worrying about next week, then next week may not be that important. I'm saying all the dilemma that you're in is really hooked into the being the long-lasting, independent, separate entity. Just like we always say, there was a woman in this other room here that I may have some interest in, you know? I'd like to meet her and stuff. So I'm hoping I could hear her say something. Maybe she talks to her friends and says she likes me so I can see my move, my opening. <laughs> so I'm supposed to be doing a talk here, and I'm just, but I'm really concerned about what she says. I'm trying to hear her, you know? And people are saying, hey, Paul, what are you doing? I said, oh, no, I'll be right with you. you know, no, no. And I said, you know, that isn't, you shouldn't be doing that, Paul. The now moment, you should be here. Be conscious now. I know, I know, I know, but I can't seem to help myself. You know, just move, because it's important to me. It means something. She's a savior, maybe. She may save me from this unbearability of what I think I am. Yeah. So here, uh, uh. No, the other eight never did, but maybe she's the lucky one. <laughs>
that yapping, just like you have incredible, I have no interest, let's say if Ray comes to me and talks to me about selfing for five minutes, his selfing, and I know it's his selfing, I have incredible wisdom about Ray's selfing. You know, the self, you shouldn't be, nah, run that by someone else, yeah? And, but I'll lose, I want to leave him fast, you know, Bob, boring as hell, I've heard this thousands of times, yeah? But, but the same thing's going on in my head, and I'm listening to it like the Greek oracles. Why is that? Same thoughts. See, but I can see those thoughts as rays, and I have an immunity to them. I see these as mine, and I don't have an immunity to those. Um, my attention gets dragged into the, the thoughts, and when my attention is like having sex in a way, your attention spawns with the thought and produces or attracts more thoughts. Yeah? So your attention, it's sort of like a train goes by. Once you get on the train, you're, you're what causes all the cars to appear. Yeah? It's just a thought. It's just an energy. The thought. It's like the engine. But when you get on it, by, by giving it your, att- your attention, when the attention goes to that thought as my thought, then you actually make the train cars. The sleeper, the this, the that, the this. And then you get, you're on this giant trip. Yeah? And what's not happening? The railway of what's not happening? And then you want to get off. You pull the emergency brake off, yeah? And you get off and you go, wow, I'm off that thing. And you're right back on another one. <laughs> because now you think you're on it. Yeah? You see? No matter any time self gets revealed not to be you, self will arise and say, hey, it was just revealed I'm not that. That's self yeah? This is an incredible modality. This way, this program, will it'll take the biggest of all hits and it'll just regroup. It's incredible. It really is. I have a lot of, not respect for it, but it is an amazing... It can, it's like, it can be blown in thousand directions all around and it'll just form again. <laughs> you step on it, it just separates and then forms again. So like, you have a great... Epiphany or a spiritual revelation, you know. I always like to joke about it because when have you made a reservation for an epiphany? Yeah? <laughs> and you call up ahead and say, I think I'm going to have an epiphany this week and uh, get some Kenny G music, get those candles I like in there, you know. No, it, it sort of breaks through the linear story of your head and then you get startled into uh, the unadorned experience of living, yeah? Not experience, it's just being. And what occurs, though, I've noticed in my own little experiences with epiphanies, is that the head will arise and say, I had this incredible experience. Yeah? It had nothing to do with that. <laughs> but it comes, shows up, and claims it. Yeah? And as soon as it claims it, it neutered the whole point of that epiphany, which was a message of life unadorned as self. Yeah? Immediately self claims it, and now you become, now you have epiphanies to to uh, put on your spiritual resume, or you can call people up and compare. How long was yours? I was gone five hours. You only hour? Oh, man, five times better than you in the epiphany stage. I'm moving way up there. Yeah? All this stuff, it's amazing. It just can regroup, and that's what it occurs. When, let's say, you notice that you've been on a train of thought, and then there's a thought, oh, I was just on that train of thought, that's back on the train of thinking. When you notice that you're on the train of thought, that's the pause. Stay in the pause. There's no need to react with thought. Or when you, there is a reaction by thought, if you don't see it as yours, you won't be beholden to that reaction. Yeah? You'll stay in the pause. And another reaction to your not reacting. Stay in the pause. Stay in the pause. It's not even staying in the pause. The pause is the field. That's it. That's the denominator. Yes? 
Your attention can go, but if you just stay there, whatever the mind presents, just rest in that, and you'll have immunity to what the mind presents. Your reactions to life will change, and life will look totally different to you. Yeah? Because it's your reaction that gives it the meaning. Yeah? If you have conscious contact with it, it has a whole different meaning. Life is seen as what's happening. When it's a reaction, it's seen as what's happening to me. Once it's happening to you, then the you, the you represents lots of old ideas. I'm serious. You has thousands of files. You don't even know the extent of conditioning that's built into the you. So anytime you conjure that up by saying, this is happening to Paul, that Paul, tons of files download through that tag, and they give meaning to what's happening. Yes? So your reaction is from this conditioned state. And so everything that arises is met with a reaction from an artificial state. And so you don't sense the consciousness of the moment. You get an interpretation about the moment from the point of view of Paul. And you don't know the, ex the extent of the conditioning of that point of view called Paul. You may think you have a little idea what you are, but that's very low. That's a very minimal am amount of the information. You're being driven and influenced totally by things that are unseen in your unconscious. But they are tagged with the idea of being a Paul. And so when they, when Paul is, it's like this event's happening to Paul, all those things come and they play a role in how you see life. In other words, if you, let's say, had a view that, let's say you're, that, in, that, that artificial view from Paul was the color yellow, and every day, life's canvas is presenting a lot of different colors, yeah? And there would be the awareness of the different colors, but their, your reaction to them would be washing them all out with yellow. Yeah? So the red, the blue, the green, the purple wouldn't be really hit or sensed as yellow-green. It would be washed out, faded with the yellow. Because your reaction would, like, do a wash on it. And so you would think, oh, this is the way it is. But it isn't the way it is. It's an artificial rendering of it, Yes? The conscious contact has been forgotten and an interpretation has taken its place. And it's very quick. So after a while, you forget what it was like, let's say, to be a kid again. You know, you forget that wonder and awe. Now you're paying $500 to have a hit of awe or you're jumping off of a bridge, bungee cord to get a sense of excitement. When you had that excitement just running out your back door on a sunny day, now you've got to do like a freaking extreme sport to get it. I'm going to surf the South Pole, you know, like 12 mil. And, wow, you know, come on. You know, when I used to, my mother let me out of the house, it was like, running around. Yeah. What happened? What happened that we have to have like a fucking shock therapy to feel like we're alive? Well, because of that, we're not, in, for all intents and purposes, really alive. We're unconscious to it. And we're living an interpretation by a, by a program of head called self-centeredness. So obviously everything is centered from the point of view of self, and so instead of trying to deal with all of its effects, let's just go to the root of it, which is self, and see if you're that. If you're not that, I tell you, your interests will be freed from its slavery to it, and your attention can go other places. Yeah? Maybe it'll harvest love and peace instead of being right and, and who's, who fucked with you. Yeah? Instead of harvesting fear and resentment, it will harvest peace and serenity. The attention is very powerful. And faith. We all have tons of faith here, too. 
I always like to remind people of this because I hear people thinking they have to get faith. You have total faith. You have so much faith, it's just maybe in the wrong vehicle. If you have faith in your head, it's going to produce anxiety. That's what it does. If you have faith that what's not happening is really happening, you're going to live in a lot of anxiety about what could possibly happen and what's not happening. That's what most people do. And they have resentments and regrets for what should have happened or could have happened and what's not happening. But in fact, none of them things happened anyway. So, you know? And we're harvesting it. And people have tons of faith. Watch a person who has faith in their thoughts. They're a wreck. They're not here for all intents and purposes. Because their thoughts don't abide here. They, they abide in time. So they're totally worshipping time. They're worried about what's not happening or they're reminiscing or having nostalgia about what did once happen or thoughts, you know. And they're just out to lunch. That they have total faith. They believe in every thought that their head becomes aware of and taking it to be true. That's, that's the false evidence that appears real. That's the ability faith has. False evidence can appear here, and if you believe it, it appears real to you. It's called fear. Yeah? So false evidence coming out, in other words, the interpretation from self-centeredness about life becomes false evidence. It tells you a story. Yeah? That false evidence, have you ever tried to convince it appearing real to others? It's very difficult, because they're in a mythical Tuesday, you're in a mythical Friday. They're in a whole different what's not happening. It's very hard to tell people, don't you understand why I'm so afraid? They go, no, I really don't. What? Don't you understand what could possibly happen to me? They're busy entertaining what could possibly happen to them later, yeah, in a different day. So here, the evidence is appearing real to you. That's faith. Faith can make false evidence appear real to you. If you have faith in the evidence, it's going to appear real to you. That's your role in it. The same faith, is, if free from that, yes, if faith is put in the I don't know, then you get an ease and comfort in your own skin at all times, but the all times don't have past and future much anymore in it. The all time is sunk down to right now. Yeah. So it's like it says, practice the principles in all your affairs. If you can't do that, then just limit your affairs. So if you can't practice the principle in all your time, and what's not happening, then just get into this time, and it's very easy to practice it. It's very simple here. And what's not happening, you may have practiced back then. What will happen, you may practice. <laughs> but here, it's just so. Yeah. So false evidence appears real. It's amazing when false evidence appears false. Then it doesn't take birth here. It doesn't mate with your action, and it doesn't create huge consequences. Yeah. Because that's what happens, doesn't it? When you see false evidence and it appears real to you, you comply with it by giving it your action, and then something happens and consequences ensue. Maybe a 20-year jail sentence. Maybe you run over somebody that night while you're drinking. Who knows? Maybe you punch somebody out and they have a heart attack. Who knows? Something in the spur of the moment can create a, like a long-lasting tattoo in your life. That's what happened with me. I went out one cold night in New York where I grew up, Long Island. It's January 30th. Freezing night. I went to a bar. There was nobody there. Bartender and waitress. I asked the bartender if I could. He gave me a quaalude, you know. I started drinking shots of Grand Marnier. I went home to my house, my sister's house where I stay in. And then I got irritable, restless, and discontent while I was home. You know, the advertising. The false evidence was I was missing something. 
Like there was a big party must have started around 11 at the place, Sunday nights. It was two people in the whole place. But the false evidence was appearing real to me. And I started getting agitated, yes? And I wanted to, I, so I got out. I went out again. I drove there, got there about 12 something, and I was crossing the street and I got run over by a car. Twice. And that's affected my physicality for the rest of my life, that one second. I was, you know, I thought I was going there for a party. I was going there for something, but it was to meet a Chevy Monte Carlo. I didn't know that at the time. But that's what sort of happens. So you think, you know, that it's all fun and games and what's not happening. But sometimes what's not happening, your reaction to that can actually appear in what seemingly is happening. You may be wearing the same orange jumpsuit for a long time. You may, a lot of things can occur here. So... You know, I know some woman that lives in the there. She's never had a real sense of being here, so she doesn't know any better. She just lives in the there, worrying constantly about what's not happening. I mean, you can say something that happened on Pluto, and I watched it. It only takes her mind about a half a second to apply it to her here. <laughs> She's amazing. She just can worry about anything. So, but if, she, if there was a sense of really being here, you'd have an immunity to the there. Because there is a here that appears in the there, but it isn't here. It's a made up here. It's made up. It's a made up here. Yeah, out there. The here is what's going on. Your head may not like it, so so what? Yeah, break through that boredom or feeling of oh, this sucks. There's nothing happening. There's a huge amount happening there. Yeah, it's just not you that's happening. And, and that to me is the relief of all reliefs. To me, I'd write a book, it would be called Life Without Paul. It's been fucking great. Life with Paul was like a prison melodrama. It sucked. Hospital melodramas. Now, Life Without Paul, I'm like free-range alcoholic. I'm running around like crazy. No, I don't have any rules or regulations. <laughs> I don't have right or wrong too much or anything like that. It's great. All those opposites I've been relieved of. Yeah? Yeah. Far out. So. <laughs> That's a visitor constantly. That little thing comes in and just flips me out. <laughs> it's so hilarious here. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> Once you taste the relief, all you can do is laugh. <laughs> because this, you realize this meal that we felt like we were conscripted to eat all the time, it doesn't even, it's not even real. It never even appeared. Actually, it's a beautiful meal. We've been giving it a terrible meaning. <laughs> We've got the greatest thing out there, and we're calling it gruel. We're missing the whole point. Give me that menu again. Let me see what could be happening. No, it's, If you just go underneath the gruel, there's beautiful jewels in there. Yeah. Just put the spoon a little deeper, you know. Let your attention go. So, uh, any questions today? Yeah, how can we get a copy of what that woman said? I'll make you a copy of it, yeah. No, no. This is a woman, uh, Bernadette Roberts. I don't